This is the Illinois. This is my time. This is our time. Grab that bull by the horns and own it, man. Today's your day. Let's go to work. Welcome to the Illinois podcast. The Illinois. Cutting through the noise of Illinois politics. Here's your host, Patrick Fingston. Hey there, welcome to our weekly live stream. I'm Patrick Fingston. I write Illinois.com, the uh, Illinois political newsletter that we put out uh, on a daily basis. I've uh, been around our state politics and and uh, government for many years now, first as a reporter, then working in political campaigns and as a staffer, and uh, started our newsletter back in 2020 and have been enjoying the new venture and our new uh, live streaming podcast that we've been putting together here over the last couple of weeks uh, on theillinois.com. And uh, wanted to uh, have a, a couple of frank conversations today about uh, some tough topics. Uh, we'll talk to Representative Maurice West who's a Democrat from Rockford, uh, about a lot of the questions involving the, the reforms to the criminal justice uh, system and, and the, the bill that's been passed and, and will be a law in, uh, you know, will fully take effect here in a couple of months uh, that ends cash bail in the state. The, the bill is under uh, significant scrutiny. Uh, and uh, it's it's a question of what's right, what's wrong, what needs to be changed, and uh, we'll we'll get Representative West's opinion on that. And we'll talk to Beth Hunsdorfer, uh, a writer for Capital News Illinois. She, along with Molly Parker from the Southern Illinoisan, have written a uh, really uh, important set of stories on the Shote Mental Health Center uh, down in Southern Illinois that has been facing. Uh, really uh, trying times with uh, the neglect and abuse of, of patients and residents there and, and what to do about, uh, about that, that facility and, and what happens next. So uh, we'll, we'll talk to them uh, both coming up here in the next little bit. I uh, wanted to start, though, with this hastily called news conference by, by Darren Bailey yesterday. Uh, just the fact that he had a news conference isn't news itself, uh, but, but there, you know, we had less than two hours notice and it was on the spot in, in the West loop where, uh, some tourists had been mugged the night before. And it was, uh, an interesting, um, uh, interesting background or backdrop. And, um, the, the whole crime issue has really risen to the forefront this week, uh, in, in light of an ad put out by a pack, uh, funded by Dick Uline, the, the billionaire uh, paper products manufacturer. Uh, it's very jarring. Uh, it, it features a, a woman who, who is attacked in, in you know, it's, it's ring camera footage uh, in, in the Lakeview neighborhood. It ran during the Bears game Sunday and, and really made a, 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 a real impression on people positively or negatively i am going to play it if if you're if you're triggered by that or or aren't um you know aren't comfortable with that i i encourage you to 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 mute your screen for a minute uh or 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 mute the podcast for a minute but uh, i i do think it's worth worthy of of playing and and the discussion
it's obviously a horrifying incident and and one that that i think is um worthy of discussion uh the governor tried to uh call the the ad racist because it it may have been black perpetrators though as far as i can tell they're wearing hoodies and and have their faces covered so i i can't see their race um and and in his comments the other day i was i was surprised he uh kind of went after the messenger more than the actual uh crime itself and uh that that seems to be a thing that's really frustrating to to some people that that there's almost a disregard for for the crimes that that continue to happen uh, chicago media tried really hard yesterday to get bailey to disavow the ad uh run by political provocateur and and uh radio host dan prof's uh pack and and he he said he wants the debate i think whatever we need to do to raise awareness and wake people up to understand uh, you know the situation with what's going on because it's real and in some parts of the city they may not understand it but 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 come down here tonight and walk around this, this there's businesses here trying to thrive yet there was a mugging that took place here last night we deserve better senator would you call for the pulling of that action because it's upset so many people have had its first real airing during the bear game this weekend I know our station, I'm sure the others too, heard from hundreds of viewers, but they didn't really want to see that because they didn't think it had a place. Well, I think I addressed that just a minute ago. We're going to have to take the veil off, and we're going to have to understand how dire this is. One thing I'd like to know, did J.B. Pritzker reach out to the victim? Did he reach out and ask that victim if uh, if, if they were okay and, and, and ask about their concerns? But to my knowledge, he didn't, and that's part of the problem. Did that act reach out to the victim and ask for her permission to use that school? I have absolutely no contact with that pack. To my knowledge, it's illegal for me to have any contact or any say whatsoever. So what they do, they do on their own. Do you support what they do? What they do, they do on their own. Do you They're support supporting what they me. Do? If They're they are question. making crime, making helping make people aware of what's going on, I think that's a good thing because so, things aren't going well here in Chicago or Illinois. Obviously, Bailey wants to make the race for governor about crime. And, and I think that, it, you know, the more that he gets coverage on these things, obviously he's not on TV on his own yet, uh, which, which he said he will be, you know, in the next couple of weeks, though they still don't have much money to do it. Uh, he he needs something that that changes the narrative, and that that pack sure does. And he he continues to to double down on the hellhole comments that that uh, he makes about the city of Chicago. Said it again yesterday. Uh, but interestingly enough, Bailey revealed that he's renting an apartment in the John Hancock Center in Chicago, in in of course the same city he's been calling a hell. Because as I've said from day one, I want to immerse myself in the culture. You can't deny there's problems here. And if we keep denying there's problems, the problems are going to get worse. All this, this whole entire journey, I have immersed myself in the culture of Illinois that I knew nothing about because I know that I must do that if we're going to lead this state and make it the great state and the great city that it deserves to be. And Bailey, of course, was uh, pressed on the national abortion ban uh, that was proposed by the Senate Republicans yesterday, but declined to go there. Uh, Pritzker, meanwhile, today signed an executive order to provide services to migrants who have been uh, shipped uh, to Chicago. 
and the suburbs. So uh, the the competing uh, and other competing press conferences today as well. The governor's getting a child care group endorsements this afternoon, and Bailey's going to be talking about crime again in Washington Park, where there was a uh, mass shooting uh, last night there on the, the south side. Pleased to be joined now by State Representative Maurice West. He is a, a Democrat from Rockford, uh, joining us this uh, this afternoon uh, to talk uh, about all sorts of, of issues. Representative West, one of the, the nice guys in Springfield, one of my favorite guys to talk to. So, Representative, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Um, uh, let's no start with let's start with the Safety Act because that's been yeah. such a, a hot topic right now with with the issues surrounding cash bail and crime. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've asked, I've asked Robert Peters this, I'll, I'll ask it to you first. Did you guys get it right? Um, apparently not. Well, and I say that because we've come back over and over with trailer bills and we're cleaning up the language and we're still talking about it. And that's part of the process uh, that happens in Springfield. Now, did we get it wrong? No, I, I'm a firm believer that we didn't get it wrong, but we always have something to iron out. And that's what we're still working on. Um, But when it comes to what we are hearing um, out in the public and on social media, uh, it's very reprehensible. But at the same time, I get it. We're 56 days, 55 days from an election and all the other talking points um, that the opposition usually use are not as effective this cycle. So we have to find something and this is a good one to pick up. But um, it's imperative for people like me um, who are supportive of the Pretrial Fairness Act to shed light on the facts. And that's why I'm thankful to be here with you. So so let's let's talk about the cash bail idea, you know, and and I think it's it's clear this is where we're going. So it's it's going to be enacted one way or another. So so whether it's it's right or, or wrong, I think it is another another discussion. But but let's talk about whether people can be held for the crimes that they're accused of. The, mm-hmm. the question remains is that if, if unless there's a, you know, there, there seems to be a, a misinterpretation between whoever, depending on people you ask that, that depending on what level of felony or what crime is committed, if someone, if they're not a threat to a specific person that they can't be held, is that true? That's not true. That's not true. Um, There's a portion to the language that says that if they are a threat to a people or a community, um, then they the judge uses their discretion on whether or not they should be detained. Um, This is all happened after January one. It puts the power in the judge's hands where it's supposed to be. Now, let me give you an extreme example. An example that's not listed of a felon of an offense that's not listed on the talking points that you see going around the state. I have a, someone I grew up with who was just um, indicted with uh, charged with sexual criminal assault, violent, not even on this list. But he has a fifty thousand dollar bond, so he could also today leave the jail system and be out in our community until his trial if he had the money to pay. So that everything that you see on this list, those very offenses can be re- can walk the streets today if they have the money. The question is, how does that make people feel? Um, come January 1, 
the judge, per the law, will do a case-by-case assessment um, to on whether or not that individual can be amongst be amongst us in society until they wait their trial, or if they should be detained. It puts the power in the judge's hands. And, and, and this is where the potential cleanup comes in because we've seen, you know, some state's attorneys have sent me some some lines that, you know, the the community lines, the single person mm-hmm. lines, and maybe some mm-hmm. people are are unclear on the context. So, so you know, it, it, I, I guess that leads me to the question of was this rushed? I mean, obviously the the, the Senate passed it in the middle of the night, the day before uh, the last general assembly. Uh, expired in, in 2021. You guys passed it with the house passed it with literally minutes to go before the, the legislature expired. I know you mm-hmm. guys had been working on it, but mm-hmm. it sure seemed like the language wasn't soup yet when you passed the bill. Did you, did you rush it? No, I don't think we rushed it at all. Cause like you just said, we worked on it for six months prior to um, it hitting either floor. Um, the conversations were fluent the conversations kept on going all the way to the last minute. And we knew that there was going to be conversations even after we passed it. We needed to put a floor of where the negotiations would be. And so that's what that's what happened with the first bill. And then we kept the conversation going at, um, throughout the year. The first bill in which everyone is up in arms passed in January 2021. Since then, there's been two and a half trailer bills. Um, one, I say in a half because one passed the House, but hasn't passed the Senate yet. There, the conversation has been going on for the last year and a half. This hasn't been rushed at all. So, so let's let's talk about crime then, in general. Mm-hmm. If 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 you're open to that, we, you know, whether whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, I, I think it's safe, or or somewhere in the middle. I think it's safe to say that there is a concern in our communities, whether it's Chicago, whether it's the suburbs, whether it's Rockford, Champaign, Peoria, Springfield, et cetera, that, that there's, there's too much crime and not enough accountability uh, for people who are committing crimes. Much of that blame, you know, politically seems to be, you know, thrown at your party because you're, you're the guys in charge. So it's at your feet. Yeah. Are, are Democrats soft on crime and should you be doing more to enhance penalties and do more to to put the to keep bad people off the street? Democrats at all are not soft on crime at all. Um, I would say more so that we are smart on crime um, when it comes to this whole this arena when it cannot be black and white. And it's, it's funny that I say black and white, but because because smart on crime, um, tough on crime versus soft on crime has been a black versus white issue. Um, and we saw how it disproportionately affected black and brown people when we were trying to be hard on crime. How did it disproportionately affect them? Well, uh, we are all innocent until proven guilty. And so we will when we're hard on crime and we. Uh, stop and frisk, and we uh, pick up anyone and everyone that we uh, deem to be a suspect. Um, We derail their way of life until their trial. And if they can't pay their bond or bail, they're in jail, innocent until proven guilty for months on end. Sometimes, God forbid, almost a year, a year plus until their trial date. By the time that happens and they 
either are proven innocent or they're put on probation or whatever that case may be, their whole way of life is uh, altered. But, and but now is, is that still is that still an accurate argument because of the the reforms that have already been been placed? Bob Berlin in DuPage County says they have more recognizance bonds than they've ever had before. The judges are essentially asking, "What can you pay?" And if they can't, they're still getting that thirty dollar a day credit. Is that a moot point now? No, I don't think it is a moot point. Not based on the conversations I've had with families who um, had loved ones still in jail who aren't able to pay their bail. I don't think it's a moot point at all. Um, so we need to make sure we're smart on crime and not what is perceived as soft on crime. Smart on crime is uh, going back to that word of which the criminal justice system was uh, based on, rehabilitation, rehabilitating individuals being rest and restoring them back to uh, society as law-abiding citizens. That's where we need to focus our efforts. Um, and and again, I'm all for those who deserve to be in jail need to stay in jail and there need there needs not to be angel investors or bail set for individuals who are are a threat to our community. That's what Indian cash bill would do. And it puts like again, it puts the power back in the judicial system uh, and everyone should be OK with that. But there, there, there's a concern, though, that habitual criminals continue to to find their way through the system, whether it's in Cook County, whether it's in, you know, other metropolitan areas. Your your state's attorney even came out, uh, you know, against the uh, your your state's attorney, Winnebago County, has come mm -hmm. out you know, with concerns about about where we are on crime and holding people uh, there, there are too many that seem to be falling through the cracks. Whether they're they're not prosecuted, whether they're not held, whether they're, uh, you know, whether you can't get a conviction because someone won't speak up, there there are a lot of issues out there. So, so what should be done, you know, to make people, whether they're in 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 Lakeview or or on the South Side or in Rockford or or in the suburbs, how how do we how do we make them feel safer where they are? Those examples you just gave um, about prosecution, people not stepping up, that there's no correlation with the legislation at hand. That, that's been an uh, issue that we've had um, for quite some time, decades. People not stepping up. We're not being able to get all the evidence in place to convict. Um, so what can we do? That's a, that's a great question. That's why we are to this day. Uh, the public safety working group in the House uh, is still having conversations with the state's attorneys association, with other advocates. And that that's why I was disappointed in seeing the the press conference from my state's attorney, because it came a day after uh, having a, the state's attorneys association was meeting with lawmakers to uh, come up with language that we all can agree with. We're still at talking about this. We're still um there's still going to be change that that comes uh, when it comes to this to ensure that our state's attorneys uh, are able to do their job. It's not about forcing um, this legislation down anyone's throat. It's about empowering our community. And we took the time and lo and I'll admit I'm happy that we extended the ending of cash bail to 23 so that we can get our judicial system on board and iron out any details that they may uh, have concerns about. And that's exactly what we're doing right now. Let me transition just to, to what I think, you know, is in the same ballpark in guns. 
Uh, okay. You know, the, there, there was talk that, that Democrats want to pass an assault weapons ban, um, what, whatever the definition of that might be. Clearly, the, the AR-15, the Armalite-style rifles would, would be involved in that discussion. But um, and obviously, there's, there's still pain and, and heartache from, from what happened in Highland Park, and I'm not trying yeah. to diminish that at all. Uh, but that was one incident compared to all of the instances of gun crimes that are happening, mostly with handguns, uh, mostly with illegal handguns or people illegally possessing handguns, um, you know, on a on a weekly basis in this state. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, there was a mass shooting yesterday in Washington Park. Is is there you know, is this misdirected anger or misdirected legislation when when we're maybe not focused on what's actually causing the most crime and the most killing out there? I wouldn't say it's misdirect, misdir uh, this misdirected legislation. I wouldn't even say it's misdirected anger because the anger is valid um, based on what is going on in our communities. Um, but the legislature, um, and as you mentioned, Democrats lead the legislature. Democrats are able to walk and chew gum. And we are also having conversations about what gun legislation looks like um, to help stem the tide of what we are seeing in our communities. Have we come, to, from when it comes to where I'm at mentally, have we come to a uh, solution? No, not yet. We're still having conversations with advocates, with community members, with stakeholders on what's the best approach of this. But that is also something that I understand people put the two and two together. We have a safety act of uh, the pretrial fairness act uh, that's about to come into effect and we're seeing uh gun violence throughout our communities throughout the nation um i see why people put those two together but it's up to uh leaders like myself to ensure that their communities understand um that these are two issues that are important to the the, the people who are making laws and it's up to us to show that by making sure we have effective outputs by uh, through legislation. What that looks like at the moment, um, that's what we're working on now. I literally <laughs> have a mental health uh, working group that's focused on gun violence um, that started at 9 a.m. that I'll jump on in a minute, but we're on a weekly basis having conversations uh, in different arenas that's, that's um, connected to gun violence and what can be done uh, to stem the tide. Before we let you go, I, I did want to touch on abortion, and and, yeah. and you're someone that that I, I've I've been interested in this topic with as as someone who's who's a Christian, who's who's an African American, who who's 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 maybe not necessarily the the straight up liberal progressive abortion everywhere sort of position that the the Pritzker uh, side of the party has taken. Um, where do you fall on this? I mean, we've seen polling that shows that that two thirds of the state is somewhere in the middle, whether it's pro-life with exceptions or pro-choice with restrictions. How, how do you see this? How do you balance your face, your faith with this too? Uh, you know, cause I, I think we see it all as such a black and white issue, but, but it, there are so many gray areas outside of, of pro-life and just, just pro-life and just pro-choice. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a topic that I've been thinking about overnight. This, uh, we had a, um, women's rights uh, meeting on last night, and uh, the uh, pro-life advocates were standing at the entryway of uh, the parking lot, 
uh, with a with a bullhorn screaming my name, telling me I'm not a Christian, telling me I'm going to hell. Um, I don't know how that's the love of Christ. Just a side note, but that's a whole different story. But when it comes to how I'm able to sleep at night, how I'm able to maintain my relationship uh, with my God, uh, it's because I come to a foundational truth that my people had policy changed on them uh, back in you know civil the Civil War era. There were laws in place that uh, told that said that black people were less than. I'm I fast forward to today. I'm not going to put myself in a position based on what I know of history to say that women are less than. And what or what gets me, what I find interesting is uh, pro-life advocates call me and say, you just killed more babies because now women are going to go out here and uh, abort their babies left and right. What does that say about your trust towards women? You we're acting like women are out here wanting to uh, get abortions like the like pop like they pop skittles like it's something of recreation that's not the case my my position i got i have to trust women do i believe in abortion heck no no i do not i would like to see that few and far between but at the same time i'm a man and i'm a politician two things that should not be telling a woman what to do with her body that's where i come and so, yes, people uh, question my faith. Uh, people say I'm not a Christian in spite of the fact that the Bible says judge and ye shall be judged yourself. Um, uh, but I reson- what resonates with me is the fact that I need, as John Wesley, who's the founder of the Methodist Church, said, think yourself and let think. Use no constraints of matter of religion uh, to compel people to come. The only way people will come is through reason, truth and love. And the way that people advocate for this particular uh, topic is not with reason, not with truth, and not with love. And that's that's where I try to put myself in an individual, not as a caucus, not as a Democratic caucus, as myself, uh, as making sure people know it comes down to one foundational truth that with three words, I trust women. And I hope that they'll do the right thing for themselves and they'll, and they'll do it with the consult of their doctor. But beyond that, um, we should not have men out here in Illinois, mainly men, talking about what women should do with their bodies. That's where I, that's my, the position I take, and that's why I'll sleep well at night. Before we let you go, though, you, you've you've made some, you've done some work with the other side, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and and obviously you're you're touching on on tough issues with with things like abortion today, but uh, you've you've made some efforts to to work with the other side to bring them to your your district your town rockford and 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 you've gone to some rural districts and and the suburban districts too to to maybe learn more and try and build some bipartisanship um god knows we need two parties to work together for things to actually work why is that important to you it's important to me twofold personally and um I guess politically, but governmentally, uh, when it comes to state government, personally, um, it's important to me because I, I admit I have I grew up with a notion, not just based on um, learning uh, things that my that were instilled into me from you know parents and adults, but even life experience that as a black man, don't find yourself in rural Illinois and at night, don't. Um, when I have, when, I, when you travel, 
Um, you look at the map to find out where the best part, the best places to get gas and or to use the bathroom. Make sure there's it's heavily congested. One of those exits that has multiple, you know, various fast food joints, restaurants, gas stations. So that uh, don't go to the exit with just a lone gas station. You won't most likely won't be welcome there. But these are just assumptions, stereotypes. Uh, you know, they could be factual at times, but these are things that are rolling in my mind that is keeping a barrier uh, uh, for me. And so when I go to see Representative Marin or Representative Boss in their districts, um, I'm, my mind is enlightened. And I also will say, as I'm also the state central committeeman of the 17th congressional district, a unique congressional district that has uh, pockets of, of urban cities, but it's mainly rural. And so when I travel to these small counties uh, to go to Democratic Party meetings, nervous, <laughs> am I what I'm about to get myself into? And then to find myself welcome with open arms, it's it's eye opening um, that there are that there's civility throughout the whole uh, state of Illinois. Uh, it's, it's there's the bad stories that we hear is not happening everywhere. And so that's what it gave it gave me uh, great comfort in that. And then to le learn from Marin and Boss and others, what are the issues that are important to your district? This is why you uh, stand up and talk all day about this, that, and the other. I get it now. Now let me show you my district. Let me show you um, what blight looks like in disproportionate uh, impacted areas. Um, you don't have any R3 zones, for example, in your district. Let me show you what an R3 zone looks like in mine. And then their eyes are open to what um, uh, my district is going through. And then we can empathize. We can understand. We can agree to disagree. I see, I know West uh, is going to go, go this way. I don't agree with it, um, but I understand where he's coming from. And it's, um, that's exactly where we should be. If not, unfortunately, we start taking politics personal. And I admit I'm guilty of it too, especially after 2016. I started saying, I had, to, I had to tell myself, not all Republicans are racist. Not all Republicans are racist. Not all Republicans are racist because of the one who was at top who was leading the Republican Party. And so it, doing this will remind people that there's civility in both parties, that there's integrity in both parties, that there's people in both parties who are just there to do the work of the people. And um, I encourage my my uh, all my colleagues to do this, especially those in the Chicagoland area. Come out into downstate Illinois. See what it, uh, is going on in downstate Illinois. See how beautiful rural Illinois is. is. Um, and it will help us to empathize with what other, the other side of the, of the aisle is fighting for and see if there's common ground. As a guy that worked Republican campaigns and 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 was on Republican staff for a while, you know, I think we always viewed the other side as the enemy. And and as I've gotten to know people yeah. like you and, and and Representative Zaleski and other you know members on your side, realized that you know there are real people behind the you know behind the name behind the office, and and that's right. it's good it's good to see that. Well, I, I, Representative, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the frank conversation, which which I, I truly respect from you. Uh, I really I really appreciate this, and hope we can do it again sometime. Anytime. Thanks for all that you do. Thanks for um, bringing a voice to the media that is uh, grounded and civil. 
Uh, I read your your uh, your article, your newsletters every day, and when I don't get something from you, I start questioning what's going on with Patrick. <laughs> so thanks for all that you maybe, do. Maybe too, it's man. just the baby didn't sleep last night, but uh, right, totally understood. I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate. Appreciate having uh, Representative West uh, join us, uh, one of the the good guys and young leaders in in, in Springfield, who's who's really making a uh, trying to make a difference from his his position and uh, trying to to do things a little bit differently than uh, than some others have have done uh, before as well. We're pleased now to be joined by Beth Hunsdorfer. She's a reporter for Capital News Illinois based in Springfield. She had a great uh, piece along with Molly Parker from the Southern Illinois in a couple of weeks ago about uh, violence and neglect of, of patients at the Shote Mental Health Center uh, in Southern Illinois. Uh, Beth joins us now on the phone. Beth, um, first of all, we, we knew about the uh, charges against a few uh, employees at Shote uh, as of last year. So what was new? What came about that, that led to your reporting? I think we, um, well, I started out looking at it after the reports of the arrest came out, especially arrests of the administrators. Um, and then there was some additional um, information that got released, just looking at those court, following those court cases. And um, I think there was some stunning things within those charges, such as, you know, forcing patients uh, developmentally disabled patients to drink a cup of hot sauce. It, it sort of said that maybe there is a bigger, um, a bigger cultural thing happening at show that needed to be taken a look at. And during the course of the reporting, um, I heard, kept hearing Molly Parker's name. And of course we knew each other. Um, I worked at the BND for years. She worked at the Southern Illinoisan for years. So I called her up and I was like, hey, do you want to work together on this? And uh, she did. And I was very happy to have her on the team. And we uh, got our hands on a book called um, Failure to Protect that uh, was written by the chief of security at showed after he retired. And from there, we just started pulling through. I don't think anybody had kept track of the number of um, employees that had been charged um, with criminal conduct uh, for their how their treatment of patients it showed. Um, and we found out there were 26 employees that had um, been criminally charged for, for patient misconduct, neglect, um, and other things in connection with their employment. How does this continue to happen over time? you know, with, with whether it's under the radar, whether it's just not, whether we haven't been paying enough attention, what, legislators haven't been paying enough attention. How does this happen for so long? I think that it's a combination of things. Um, I think these patients are the most vulnerable and, um, you know, it is, a lot of them are nonverbal. A lot of them have, uh, one of my sources, uh, told me that they're, they're people who have exhausted everyone through, uh, they've exhausted their families in some cases, not in all cases, but in some cases they've exhausted their families. You know, they uh, have ex 
exhausted law enforcement and they wind up at a place like like shout and um it is a very vulnerable you are in the care of the people who we pay to take care of them and it is uh i think incumbent upon us to pay attention it's incumbent if we're going to make support a place like show if we are going to support a, and i'm i don't know if the idea is is to move people to community independent living centers or or what but if we're going to have a place like show we need to make sure that the people who live there are protected um and it is it was a tough story to report and it, it's a tough it's tough to hear about stuff like that honestly one of the frustrating parts of what I read was the you mentioned the former chief of security there who who literally wrote to the director of the agency that that oversees showed and, and said we we need action we need help and nothing ever happened of it why was that ignored why was he ignored was that uh, incompetent to the Pritzker administration what happened I honestly I do not know why that meeting never happened. I, you know, we printed the emails, we printed um, the department's response, but I, I don't, I, I don't know whether it is. Um, honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't speak to that because it, everything I say would just be speculation. I, I don't know, but you know, not to put too fine a point on it, they, they did announce they were going to um, make some reforms. Um, show including installing cameras which is something um security director smoot former security director smoot had advocated but um all the security all the cameras are going outside and as you can imagine probably the places where the patients would be most vulnerable would be inside the facility but it see it seems shocking that they don't have security cameras looking at the hallways or the common areas how how is that not possible um I from my understanding is that um to have security cameras in there you have to have the consent of the people who live there it's a privacy issue um they there were some family members who who are not do not support the installation of cameras so if you have one parent in opposition to it, DHS is saying we have opposition. We can't move forward with installing cameras on the inside. What are employees saying? What what did they tell you? That is it a, a an overall good place with some bad apples over the years, or is there a culture of problems? Well, I, I think outside of talking to em, employees and what they said specifically, you know, I think there are very good people that work at this facility. Make make no mistake about that. But definitely, there is you have to understand how it, it happens. Um, there could be a patient who has some behaviors um, and becomes violent, and um, I require assistance from the other per people who work for me and just like in any other profession i am not going to call you out because i depend on you and it creates this culture of sort of um compliance to each other you know a, a code of silence if you will um because it is literally if you have if i'm a five foot tall woman 
and a six foot tall guy becomes combative. I'm relying on the other people who work on the unit at that time to come and help me. What's what's next? I mean, the governor's opened the, the door to closing the facility potentially. You know, it's not the only one. There's Murray and Centralia. There's there's Fox and Dwight where I've, I've been to that facility and it's it's not at all like what's been described uh, in, in in Anna. What's what's next? What what do we see happening in res, as a result of, of all of these issues? Um, again, I I hope that um, there is a redoubling of effort to make sure that the people who live at Shote are safe. Um, whether it is that the facility is closed or not. I know that in 2012, there was, uh, Governor Quinn had talked about closing show and um, it, it, it survived. It is a, the largest employer in Union County, which is, you know, uh, probably not very, it, it's a poor county. Tiny, rural and poor. I'll, I'll say yeah. it if you don't want to. Yeah, um, it's, it's, you know, it depends on on the state employment. They had Florsheim, I think Florsheim shoes and Bunny Bread, mm -hmm. and they they were the other top two employers, and they've left. So what you have left is um, state employment, and it's good employment. Um, it's it's a good salary, with good benefits and good retirement, and um, generations of people have raised their families on working at show. I think it would also be, you know, for some of the people and some of the parents moving the people out, moving patients out of show. I mean, on its face, it's going to be traumatic. That's their home. Some of them, it's the only home they've ever known. Um, so I, I, and it would be a terrible thing to have to be the person who decides whether you have, you put your loved one in jeopardy of, of, being abused or you put the, or you traumatize them by moving them somewhere else. I, I'm basically, it's a terrible thing for families have to face that have loved ones in Chode. Beth Hunsdorfer of Capital News Illinois did great work on this story about Chode. And I know she's going to keep digging into some of these social service agencies and issues happening around the state. So Beth, thanks so much for the time. Thank you, Patrick. Have a good day. All right. Thanks to Beth Hunsdorfer for her time uh, and, and the work that she's doing on on keeping some of our, our state agencies and, and social service agencies specifically in check. Uh, also, thanks to Representative Maurice West for his time uh, a little bit earlier on in the show. We'll be back next week. Uh, I think hopefully we'll have a, a special show for you with a, a special guest and uh, uh, should have a good conversation there. So thanks so much for for watching if you're watching our live stream or listening if you're listening to the podcast we're so glad you're you're, you're with us uh, subscribe to our newsletter at dillinois.com and uh we'd love to have you as part of what we're doing as we try to cut through the noise in in state government and politics and and try and tell a little bit of the truth of what's going on in in our state today thanks so much for joining us and have a great day everyone